Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are talking about the last of the five needs areas, which is sensory. So if you've been with me for the last couple episodes, we have dug deeper into the five needs areas. A while ago, I did an episode as the five need areas in one episode. I was asked to break that down into individual episodes. So here we are doing just that and wrapping up with the last of the five need areas, which is sensory. So you'll know a child has a sensory need or concern around sensory integration if they respond strongly to any of the senses or things that touch upon or hit the senses. So a lot of times we'll see this with loud noises. So kids will cover their ears and and not like anybody would cover their ears for a loud noise, but some kids seem to really be bothered by the loudness of something or they're bothered by things that people don't recognize that are loud. So for example, the way people talk or how loud they talk or the volume of a classroom maybe normal or feel okay to most kids, but kids with sensory needs may be overstimulated by that loud noise and they need it to be quieter. Other sensory things could be foods, textures of foods, clothing, textures of clothing, how things touch their body or sit on their body. So like seat belts and all kinds of things like that. They seem to be really particular. A lot of people will sometimes classify this as OCD. Uh, because of the the need to have things in a certain place or to a certain level, but a lot of it is really just irritation to the senses. So that's what it is. That's what it might look like. And I think this comes from when we are exposed to traumatic stress or chronic stress over time, that stress puts our system in this hyper alert state. And when you're in this hyper alert state, your senses are always very active. And that becomes somewhat of a stable state for us, for them, for people. So when that happens, you are more attuned to things in your senses or of your senses because you have, you have had to be because of the stressed out state you have remained in. I can relate to this from my own life. I utterly hate, and hate's a strong word, but I do not like velvet. I don't like to touch it. I don't like to wear it. I don't like to be, I can't even see it. Just even talking about it now, thinking about it, it gives me the chills. My teeth are feeling like my jaw is just tingling. It's wild that something like that can be so bothersome to me. Noise as well. When I am in overly loud rooms or 
concerts, I come out of those <laughs> feeling absolutely drained. It takes all of my energy to manage the, the loud noises and the senses that are overwhelmed by those environments. I can do it. I can handle it, but it wouldn't be my preference. And I know that coming out of it, it's going to drain me. So think about what that might be like for a child. I'm an adult who recognizes that, who can put things in place to manage that and prepare for that and deal with that when I come home. Kids aren't quite that developed, so they don't have the the means or the knowledge or the know-how to even do that. So being aware of the senses, and, and this is where we can overlook like Certain behaviors may happen. People will say, well, it happened for no reason. I think sensory is an area where we often overlook that the the sensory orientation that the sense could have caused the behavior. Let's say a room is too loud and a child just wants the room to get quieter and they become aggressive and they hit someone. And it appears like it's for no reason when it's really just that they're overstimulated. If they could recognize their overstimulation and then ask for what they need or recognize it and then do something or go somewhere to kind of de-escalate, then maybe some of those behaviors wouldn't happen. But it's hard because they don't they don't know that they're acting in response to their sensory needs. And it's not always easy to recognize this. We just have to pay close attention and watch and th- like consider all the senses in the, those areas and could one of those areas would be bothering a child. And if we ask some questions around that, they may start to realize and recognize that that, it, that it's bothering them, a certain noise, a certain texture, a certain food, a certain fabric, whatever it may be. So one thing we can do is we can teach kids to recognize that kind of disorganized state and find ways to get back to neutral, get back to equilibrium. Maybe we can reduce or eliminate the sensory stimulation if if possible. Noise, we can maybe sometimes do something about that. We can if it's like a fire station or an alarm, but we could if it's classroom noise or how loud we talk. Um, but there's also micro doses of exposure. Uh, sometimes by slowly with the support of a stable being, we can be exposed to some of those things and then they don't bother us as much. Our, our senses become uh, used to them. So with this one, I would say just mindfully watch when kids have strong reactions or big behaviors and consider all the senses and could sensory integration be the cause of that behavior. And, and I'm talking a lot about like overstimulation. It could be understimulation too, that kids are seek, seeking sensory stimulation and that's why things are happening and behaviors are happening. So consider both ends of the spectrum, overstimulation, understimulation, and how we can use our senses to get those needs met. If you want more information about this need area or any of the five need areas, I designed a whole course around this to teach people how to recognize the five need areas, how to put interventions in place to get those five need areas met. And we go through and create a whole plan of action for how to do this. And that's in our emotional literacy, emotional intelligence blueprint course on our website. So lots and lots of information and details there. But I do lots of coaching around this area and these needs because often when we make sure that all of these five needs areas are met, then we see behaviors reduce, diminish, go away completely uh, because there's no reason to have the behavior anymore when the need is being met. That was the reason for the behavior in the first place, to get the need met. But know that throughout all of this (laughs) kind of trial and error and detective play and 
trying to figure all of this out that kids aren't like consciously aware that they're making these choices. A lot of it is just biological and based in human biology and having needs met and our brains developing out of a, a tribal hunter-gatherer um, environment and that it's not just kids being malicious. It's not personality flaws or lack of willpower. It's just based on our biology and we can correct that by putting the right interventions in place. If you have more questions, let me know. Happy to answer them and happy to chat more about this topic. All right. So that takes us to today's listener question, which comes from New York. And ironically, the question is about behaviors that are due to kids having trauma in their lives. So behavior stemming out of trauma, what do we do? We can't always, well, we certainly can't remove the trauma that has already happened. And sometimes we can't even remove kids from the trauma they are currently experiencing. Sometimes we don't know that they're experiencing trauma. They can't always verbalize that or put that into words for us, or they're too scared to even do so. Uh, or they might think that people won't believe them. But we don't always have the power to remove the stressors and the trauma. What we do have the power to do is teach them to become resilient in our environments and be that champion that they need to be the, the buffer to what they're dealing with in the community, home, or wherever it is in their lives. So the one thing I would do is we get so hyper-focused on changing the behavior, stopping the behavior, replacing the behavior. It just becomes behavior-focused. But get curious about what the bigger needs are here. <laughs> behaviors are happening because needs aren't being met. And needs aren't being met probably because of the trauma exposure or stress exposure. So get curious about why these things might be happening and how to categorize them and how to put interventions in place to meet the needs. Also, Meet them with compassion and understanding. Again, this is a based in human biology. It's an unconscious or subconscious reaction. It's impulsive. It comes out of the emotional brain. They aren't necessarily making these poor choices intentionally. They are doing them out of need, out of necessity, out of safety. So meeting them with some compassion, understanding, and grace, which most people probably don't meet them as or with, um, would be a much better starting point. I know they're tough. I know they drain us. These, these behaviors cause us stress. They cause the kids stress too. But sometimes a loving, supportive, understanding person or environment, most times actually, can completely change the trajectory of a child's life and behaviors. So the, the next step I would say is work on rewiring the brain. Work on changing the chemical chemical makeup. And we can do that because that's based in environment. And if we have exposure to them in our school setting or whatever setting we are in that we are connecting with these kids, we can have a positive impact on their lives and teach them to become resilient. And one of my favorite ways to do this is through problem solving. And I go through this very brief problem solving conversation about what we can do to deal with the trigger and how we can change the behaviors in response to that trigger. Sometimes we'll put replacement behaviors in place and we'll practice those replacement behaviors because, again, a lot of those behaviors are impulsive. They're not necessarily um, coming from logic or reason. Actually, most times they are not coming from logic or reason. So when we practice replacements for those behaviors, when we are in logic and reason, when we are in our thinking brain, our emotional brain can then default to those replacements uh, when the trigger or issue comes up. 
the key here is they have to be practiced enough to override the impulsive choice or the impulsive behavior. But if kids know and are given the tools for how to behave, then they will behave. They just don't have the tools that they need yet. The other thing you can work on is self-regulation or emotional regulation. This is a huge area for the behavior hub. I spend a lot of time teaching adults how to do this, how to respond to kids, kids how to do this. But I would say a huge portion of us don't know how to regulate our own emotions or respond to our emotions. And if we can teach kids how to recognize their emotional state, how to change it, they are they are set. <laughs> they are going to be such a great advantage in their school settings, in their lives, in their future, in their relationships, in their work, in everything they do, because it's something we just don't spend a lot of time on right now in the Western world. And just let yourself know that we can't change what happened. We can only change our environment and what's within our locus of control and how we respond to these behaviors. Grace, compassion, understanding as best we can. All right, to wrap up our show, going to share with you try it at home tip which is daily mindfulness but let me explain what this is because i know mindfulness is a hot topic a hot word right now people are like oh that's not for me uh but this is incredibly helpful and let me explain why so daily mindfulness is just slowing down and tuning your senses to the things that you are doing on a daily basis so let's say brushing your teeth Daily mindfulness with brushing your teeth would look like attuning to the toothbrush, the way it feels, the texture, maybe the sound, the smell of the toothpaste, and just slowing down enough to instead of make that like a 30-second, one-minute, two-minute process, to just extend it out a little bit and give it some more of your mindful attention because here's the why, here's the science. When we do that with teeth brushing or coffee or pouring water or making food or even like the key to leave to lock the door, like touching the key, jingling the key, all these things, locking the key, the sounds, all the sensory orientations related to the daily tasks, the more we can integrate that into our daily lives and pay attention to moving through these moments mindfully the less time our brain gets to focus on the past or the future. The past brings depression, the future brings anxiety. And when we aren't in the present, that's what causes us stress. And to reduce our stress and overwhelm, if we stay in the present by practicing these little daily mindfulness moments, then it will reduce our overwhelm and stress. So pretty easy to do. And just take some practice and take some intention, but can be really helpful for slowing down your thinking brain, which, and your emotional brain, which we need to do and spend more time in our thinking brain. All right. So that's it for today's episode of the Returning to Us podcast. Remember today's tried at home tip daily mindfulness. And if you would like me to answer, your question on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744 and lock in what you learned today by applying it right away. An easy way to do this, leave a review or a comment with your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And don't forget to subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.